Cheers. Virtual we normally cheers. clink. Yes. We clink, but we're too tired to get water can tonight. I, can I get permission to what? That, like, on some future episode, <laughs> we're we're going to have a, a really cool whiskey. We're just we're just right now trying to stay. It's dry we're just January. Trying to, we're, we're trying to stay alive. There are so many trials back to back right. to back. Yeah. It's like, it, it's a really heavy spring. It's a tornado, as I told Nick. You know, um, we kind of spoke a little bit about what it is. And I want to say this now because there's been two or three calls this week. And we'll, we'll talk about that one case where we had a withdrawal just before the Christmas break or the winter break or the Hanukkah break, whatever you want to call it. Um, and or the Kwanzaa break or whatever. There's a few more. And there's a bunch more. Just name them all. That's okay. Um, and um, and and again, it, it it's amazing how this happens. So people call in and they're trying to change counsel. And I'm always trying to ask, who's your counsel? Do they know you're changing counsel? Have you sat down and spoke to them? Have you discussed the case with them? And the same thing keeps coming out of at least three of these, four of these intakes I did in the last week where they go, well, I I don't see why this would be a lot of work. Yeah. Because they haven't produced any video. They haven't produced any evidence other than her complaint and some text messages. And I was so frustrated with one client, I literally hung up after a while, one intake. And it's, I, I don't know how to try and get it across over and over that in Canada, as well as other jurisdictions around the world, a statement of a complainant is sufficient to give reasonable grounds for the police to lay a charge for a case to be prosecuted upon and a person to be convicted on, right. especially if at trial, the accused doesn't testify. Especially. Right. And we've seen that in cases we've taken over for appeal. There does not need to be corroborating evidence under the criminal code. That's been abrogated a long time ago. So, and there's reasons for that, good reasons for that. So any complainant of abuse can come forward and a case can be found beyond a reasonable doubt on the person's evidence. So if anybody wants to watch this, who's a potential client or looking for a lawyer, whether it's our firm or somebody else, yes, it's completely sufficient that the police just take a statement and they may have some text messages, frankly, given over by the complainant that can support her position. Uh, and that's sufficient. And that's evidence. They don't that understand. That is evidence. That's ev that equals evidence. And once the person testifies in court, that can be very compelling evidence. So be careful. Don't assume it's not going to take a lot of work or it's not going to be a difficult case because I haven't had a sexual assault case in my 31 years that wasn't challenging. So I just had to start off with that again because I, I, I was hoping that as, as more and more information gets out there, lawyers would be explaining to the client. And I'm pretty sure a couple of these guys, because I wasn't very supportive of them changing counsel, I said, you've got to sit down, speak to your lawyer and understand why he, says, he or she says it's going to go to trial. So let's talk about for a moment uh, a, a brief case study on, on a file that we finished just before the winter break. Uh, Nick, you came on that file. There was some complex statements. Tell us a little bit about the case. Um, what were the charges? And then, you know, what was the complexity of the statements? And yeah. and then we'll talk more about it. So it was a historical, uh, historical allegations of historical sexual abuse. Um, uh, uh, the complainant, uh, who is an adult, 
alleged that her cousin had began sexually abusing her when both she and and he were children. And there were a lot of family get-togethers and sleepovers at which he would he would do this. Allegedly. Allegedly. And then there was a period of several years where the abuse stopped, uh, according to the complainant, and then resumed again when uh, he was an adult uh, and she was still a child, but almost an adult. And I think by the final allegation, uh, both of them, both of them were adults. And so, sort of right from the get-go, uh, it was it was difficult in terms of reading her police statement and working out what she was actually alleging because she even admitted, quite frankly, her memory wasn't good, and so she certainly didn't recount events in any kind of linear way. Uh, and I think my first task on that case was to go through her statement with a fine tooth comb and then build this, what turned out to be quite an elaborate color-coded chart with various sort of dates of references and ages and, and so on and, and work out exactly uh, what she had alleged. And it wasn't just us who had had difficulty with that because it was clear from the information and disclosure that the police and the detectives had really had difficulty working out what allegations happened when um, and so even I think right up until trial, we were we were revisiting the state, the original statement uh, to try and work out very precisely what she was alleging, where it happened. And then she made two, I think, two subsequent statements, Correct. much briefer, where she updated some of the earlier allegations, added some new ones, but it wasn't quite clear whether the new ones were new mm -hmm. or whether they were duplications, so on. Are you getting nauseous listening to this? Yes. It was yeah. <laughs> I am. Yeah, no. Very difficult. And, you know, I th what struck me reading that was how how are you prosecuting somebody when, you, when it's can not it, even clear what's, what's what happened. happened. Yeah. And, 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 and let's just, so the person was charged, the police had charged him as a youth because a number of these offenses occurred when he was a youth. So there was a, a court information with multiple counts of sexual assault, sexual interference, and then an adult information with multiple counts of sexual assault and sexual interference. So there were two. The Crown decided not to proceed on the youth charges. We'll talk about it later. There was something called a similar act application that we fought, and, and if it had gone through, we would have won. But there was multiple counts spanning almost a decade. And what you're expressing right now is because both the police and us as the defense and your chart was very elaborate with lots of color coding because we had to try and create a timeline. Because in historical cases, um, they're challenging enough because um, there is some leniency given, of course, to a, a complainant because they're not going to get dates or frequency as accurately, especially if you go back a decade or two decades. Can you imagine going back three or four decades? But also because she was young at the time uh, as being an alleged uh, victim of this, that the case law specifically says that there is that there is a lot of leniency given to the evidence of a complainant yeah, of a young age, where you know, where they're not giving evidence in a linear way, where there is difficulty with the frequency or the description of the timing or exactly what happened. There's a lot of leniency given. We've talked about this on a number of episodes, but I we keep coming back to it because these are so challenging. So you get all this leniency that you give to a complainant. It doesn't lower the threshold of proof beyond a reasonable doubt. But it's very hard to get at inconsistencies um, when there is such latitude given 
to such vagueness. So tell us a little bit more because it, it took quite a while because I had read through it and then I asked you to do this sort of timeline yeah. because we needed to prepare the defense narrative. We'll go to that next, but I'm just, when you go back to the, the two additional statements she provided, mm -hmm. it was, you raised a really good point there. Who knew if there were new allegations? Yeah. You couldn't tell. Right. Yeah. And another thing that was very difficult, yeah, you couldn't tell because often the locations would be the same and she would describe essentially what she described in a previous statement, but the timing perhaps was a bit different and she claimed it was a new allegation. I think she she obviously didn't know and she probably didn't remember exactly what she'd said. Because she was lying. Yeah. The original statement Imagine. anyway. And so it's um yeah, it was it was very difficult sort of understanding, you know, is it new? There were just a lot of question marks, even when he dis did disentangle everything. One thing I noticed as well, I think the police, again, had had difficulties separating them out too. It wasn't it wasn't just us. I mean, even reading the transcripts, you sort of this detective saying, could you just clarify this, right. this and that there? Or are just going to come out of the room and then go back into the room? Um, and then I had problems even looking at the information with all the adult allegations, okay. with the dates, and they used such a broad spectrum of dates that it was hard actually matching up each each charge to a factual description in in the statement. Sounds it like a nightmare. It's a it's a nightmare. So just you know think about it, and Michael, just jump in for a moment. But because you've done a number of these cases as well, where it's it's a child complaint and it's a, a family related allegation, we have to go through this very in depth breakdown of this evidence so that we can actually try and interview the client and get from the client some sort of timeline and some way to refute the allegation. And to prepare our cross-examinations. Like, how but, do you cross but just But even to do that, we need the defense. Of like course. We call it the client's chronology, right? So what, what we do is, I think we've mentioned this before, once we give the client the disclosure and they've had the opportunity to review this statement in detail, we want them to give a chronology. That's a document just for us. It's, it's solicitor client privilege. But we want a complete history. And then we want their sort of rebuttal. But many times they're not able to give that. And in this case, how do you even figure it out if we can't if get... If we can't figure it out. If we can't figure out a timeline. Right. No, it's very difficult for these clients. So sometimes they have to spend more time with the disclosure. Other times we'll review it together with them. Sometimes we'll get other family members involved to see whether we can pin down any points in history or points in time. Because I think you interviewed a number of witnesses in this case right yes it's yes. exactly what we did yeah it was several times over um and were they helpful in trying to yes i mean it's difficult because <clears throat> i think uh the witnesses in that case or in any case will be extremely keen to try and give as much detail as possible mm -hmm. that they imagine will be of benefit to us so it's almost kind of uh there's a like a vast amount of information coming at you and then uh, so it was useful ultimately, but a lot of it was kind of siphoning it out and trying to explain, no, this isn't going to be relevant. This is going to be more helpful. <clears throat> but they, uh, yes, they it does help sort of doing that discussion because especially in, in that case, there were multiple locations. So just working out where everybody lived. Right. And uh, these were all at family events or family <laughs> locations, right? Yeah, that's right. right. They were. And also sort of getting... And trips. And trips. Yep. Well, you're lucky then that you had the family unit able to assist, right? Sometimes you don't have that. No, but, it, but I'm sorry to interrupt, but oh. what's, what, what was, you know, and I, I appreciate it was frustrating for the police, but they only interviewed the parents and the parents of the complainant actually were the ones who came across. They were like, we're completely shocked. 
No clue. No clue. And all they could confirm was, yeah, we had a lot of get-togethers. Yeah. That's all they could do. Yet there was other people that could have been interviewed. So we interviewed, and Nick interviewed a number of times, uh, a cousin. And then the cousin's parents. Although they weren't ultimately helpful to have as potential witnesses, mm -hmm. it did help us in understanding where things are alleged to have happened, what the dynamic was, who would have been around, what sleeping arrangements were, what was the rules in the house. Like, so for example, some of the allegations were at nighttime, the, the only female cousin would sleep in a room with three other male cousins. And during, while in that room, allegedly, some of the allegations was our client had committed a pretty brazen sexual assault, which any, anybody else would have woken up and heard if that were, were this is why I'm saying it's not true. Right. One of those allegations, we're not going to talk in great detail about it, but Nick, you were like, you were like, what the f***? you got to swear more because it's <laughs> right. the podcast, right? <laughs> yeah, but like, you were like, what the f***? Yeah, I need the whiskey before I saw yeah, swearing. It's coming. <laughs> it's coming. Um, yeah, no, I was very surprised. I think that was one of the, the allegations that was updated. It was also the earliest. It was odd because it was the, it was the earliest allegation and yet had by far the most factual detail attached to it. Um, and then allegedly from there, 10 years after, it would de-escalate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So the other the other allegations yes, de sort of de-escalated from that. But then um, sh she updated it in a subsequent statement. But even there, you know, her whole update uh, in which it became even, even worse was she even said outright, oh, I don't remember this, but I've just worked it mm -hmm. out. And so it wasn't, right. you know, there was sort of lots of language that I think we were planning to use for, for cross-examination. Yeah. Memory was a big area I was going to go over because I, I, I was of the view that if, if this was fabricated, and it was fabricated for all sorts of selfish reasons and maybe feeling jilted by the cousin mm -hmm. who basically went on with his life and wasn't as close anymore. But yeah, there was memory issues that I wanted to play up on because there was language that was being used was like, well, I don't really have a memory of it, but I worked this out because this is how it must have happened. Oh God, that rem reminds me of Courage to Heal from the 80s and 90s. Remember that book? Yeah. The opening line in that book. It's a self-help book. Yeah, it yeah. was like, if you feel like it happened, then it probably did. Oh, okay. No, but that's a really important point. It's terrifying. That's an important point because that's at the nub of what we've been doing a lot of work on, which is this recovered memory or... I can't, you know, lost memory, repressed memory, whatever, which is utter crap. Yeah, scientifically that shown. Statement, that statement of self-healing, say that again. If it feels like something happened to you, then it probably did. She was saying that. I felt, I felt that I was sexually assaulted. I, there was an aspect of it where she goes, it, it had to have been intercourse. Had to have been. Because I felt afterward it had to have been intercourse, but I don't actually have a memory of it. Right, that's terrifying. I, I mean, yeah, she did, and they were, those were in the latter statements too. They were that came about a year, I think a year, over a year after Later. the first one. Um, yeah, I don't know what happened in the interim to sort of make her change her mind there or, or update it. But it was. I don't think the family rallied around her the way she yeah. thought they would. Right. I think she was looking for more attention, and and I know there's a bunch of people who would like love to just rip my guts out for saying that, but this was an attention grab. That happens. But, but let's go back to that. So, so one of these allegations, there's three cousins in the room, all of like sufficient age to be able to look, hear, and understand, right? Mm -hmm. And this one was, would have involved a tremendous amount of movement and active 
sexual abuse, okay? So nobody's interviewed from that room. We had, Nick had a number of meetings with a cousin and with our client's brother and with our client's family. I met with them and we went over and over and over. And eventually it was really helpful because once we got that breakdown, like a hundred hours later of work, okay? Like we had to, we gave a massive discount on this because it was a lot of work. But then we were able to say, okay, so, so she's, we pretty sure this allegedly occurred during some sort of event at maybe this year. What were the sleeping arrangements? And it's like, well, the two brothers, so the accused and his brother, they had their own room. The, the cousins would, that, like they'd sleep in a separate room and we had an open door policy we didn't when the kids went to bed we didn't want them shutting the door and running in and out of rooms and we had a very strict upbringing like this is the way it is so, so finally we were able to start building a defense narrative because we were able to tr we were able to get some structure to the allegations and then we were able to try and look at periods of time what was the house rules who was present university Right? Like, yeah. so some of the allegation occurred during a period of time when our client wasn't here. Yes. Yeah, they, they did when we worked out the timeline. And then, you know, it was kind of a bit of a eureka moment when I sat with a client and, and they're saying, no, I wasn't actually there at this point. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't really have been at the house because I was in a different city. So that was quite <laughs> so good to know. Yeah. And then, I mean, yeah, good to know. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's important point. Yeah. So, um, I think another thing was a lot of the adult allegations had concerned sleepovers as well. And the cousins were unanimous that like, well, we didn't have sleepovers as cousins because uh, as adults, because we were adults, you right. know, they weren't all crashing around playing Nintendo in our sleeping bags, <laughs> age 25. Like it didn't, right. so it didn't, there was a lot that we kind of like, yeah, this doesn't, this doesn't make sense. Um, mm -hmm. And I think, you know, we kind of gradually built yeah, and it was each each of them sort of confirming independently as well. We, we kind of got them interviewed separately. And so it was, yeah, I think we had, we we're getting a pretty strong case. I mean, it was withdrawn, which was the best outcome. But yeah, of course. But, but this is a great case study because it's how you have to start with one of these amorphous, long, convoluted word salad statements, try and deconstruct it and make it into some sort of a structured um, timeline intelligible thing that you can actually try and analyze it you know can you imagine trying to defend that if if you're not able to put some structure on it because with the way some of the law is it's very easy to still get convicted um because you know you fate you, i i had a judge we have a judgment coming up soon where a judge you know well he just denied it well what the f is he supposed to say yeah i had sex with my daughter there was consent you know, of course it's a f***ing denial, but when you look at these other factors, but the case law troubles me so much with these family-related ones where it's, where it could be a cousin or it could be within a high-conflict divorce that, you know, plausibility, whether it's plausible that that happened is not so much a viable argument for the defense. Talk about that a little bit. People, like, we need to understand this because when you look at the research in the case law, it's amazing how how highly improbable or implausible the allegation is doesn't seem to have much traction with courts. No, it's bizarre. Because, because although you can't presume somebody who would be a would-be sex offender would automatically take that extreme risk, it's almost an, a given. 
even though they say we can't assume that. It's almost like a reverse onus. But but the plausibility no, cases, no. like... Yeah, no, no, I agree with you, 100%. It's like, well, like you said, Let, it's, I just, it's, I, it's, it's frustrating because it's... So, so like, it, you, you, there are so many cases of convictions where there are pretty good arguments of implausibility. Right. And they're just blown out of the water because, well, no, I mean, you know, you can't assume that somebody wouldn't do that. Yeah, I don't get that. And in our case, a lot of it was about plausibility and about it couldn't have happened. But at least we had anchors in time as to why. One of those big anchors was our client was away in university. He wasn't present. A five and a half hour drive from Toronto where he was grinding at university in a very challenging science-based undergraduate degree to go to medical school. And he, he only came back for the major, like for the holiday time, or if there was maybe a reading week, that was it. And all of the cousins were unanimous in saying, as adults, it's like you said, like at 2019, 2021, like we weren't sitting around in pajamas playing Nintendo. Yeah, but it took a lot of work to get those anchors. That's a, the thing. A lot of work. And, and when you think about it, you know, the police could have interviewed some of these sure, cousins. And, of and, and and the cousins would have said, like they did to us, uh, we never had sleep, but, uh, like I had a girlfriend, I, he had a girlfriend, right. the girlfriend used to come all the time. Like we didn't have sleepovers. Right. Amazing, eh? Mm -hmm. So what happened? What, you know, we, we, we get ready, you know, client is prepared. We have two or three witnesses we're calling in addition to the client. Cross-examination has been developed, took us about... 50 to 60 hours to draft that cross and this is again while i say no case is simple this was this was over 200 this was over a two 300 hour case mm -hmm. and we hadn't even gotten to trial and we did a similar similar act application too uh talk about that for a moment so the crown uh explain what it is to everybody we've spoken about it before but you know okay. basic basic criminal law 101 so similar act evidence uh the crown was seeking to admit evidence of similar acts um sort of committed in the past to demonstrate a specific, or in this case, a situation-specific propensity to, to commit uh, the, the, the allegations. Um, so in this case, Joseph mentioned uh, there were some allegations that occurred when both the accused and the complainant uh, were children, and then the accused became an adult, and the police, uh, or the Crown was only prosecuting for the adult allegations. The Crown wanted to admit facts about the childhood allegations in order to support uh, their position uh, with respect to, to the adult allegations. That's sort of simply, that would be it. Right. Um, and then they submitted their application. Uh, and they said it showed there was a situation-specific propensity uh, that the, the accused would abuse the complainant uh, whenever whenever he had the chance to at family events when they were alone. Um, and therefore, these should be admitted. And then my job was to write the response. Uh, and the response was, essentially to focus on the time lapse between the, the two mm -hmm. period, alleged periods of abuse. Um, and case law is pretty clear when you have um, uh, allegations that are happening as children, the kinds of motives that would lead somebody to, to abuse a child to abuse another child don't really translate well into adulthood. That was really, that was the basis of, of our response. What was one of the, the, the most helpful cases? There was one that was, that was very similar. And the judge was clear saying, no, you, a child who abuse another child, then you grow up, you have sexual maturity. It's a crucial stage of development. You're a completely different person. Mm -hmm. The reasons for when an adult would abuse someone are, are too distinct for these really to, to speak to each other. 
Um, so that was that was the thrust of, of the application. We didn't end up submitting it because everything. Well, we, we filed it. We didn't argue it. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah, we filed it. We filed the uh, the response. Oh, uh, it was a very robust response. It was very well written, Nick. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Um, no, it was very it was very good. And, and and you know this is another example of why um, you know we we had you know Diana was on this file to to a certain extent as well, and then. Um, Uvica had worked on it. Like we often have to have many eyes on a file in order to try and get a good comprehensive defense. But that was a very solid uh, response to their application. We would have won it. So we get there for trial. Mm. Yes. Yeah, and it was, uh, yeah, everyone was nervous. We're set up for a five-day trial. Yeah. Terrifying. <laughs> but that's what we do. That's what we do. It's fine. And his client was very nervous. The family was there. Everyone yes. was there. And... I start to have discussions with the crown attorney, mm -hmm. and guess what? The complainant doesn't want to be cross-examined. Imagine. Maybe she saw the chart. She saw nothing. I know. You know, um, but the complainant did not want to be cross-examined. When it came down to it, uh, it was complete, like, I don't want to be cross-examined. Just like that. I've put this man through hell, and eh, I don't want to play today. Was it? Was there a family aspect to it as well? We don't know, and we had a, a, a I think, a, a very reasonable-minded uh, crown attorney who's been a crown for over thirty years, who I think has an intuitive sense of cases, mm -hmm. and felt that there might have been some family uh, pressure input. or something. Well, no, I don't think pressure. I, I think it was like. I think there's some family realization that that couldn't have happened okay. because of a number of real ABC, factors. Right. And um, I think also it was pretty clear through the family that, that you know, I, I'm not, that there was, a, there was a robust defense, let's just put it that way, that there was a very serious law firm on it. Right. And, um, and, and I think certain other family members who weren't directly involved were saying, how could that have ever happened for many of the because once we started you cannot underestimate how people will talk in a family so we started interviewing various family members and in some culturally the family still remain very close they talk a lot and once we're interviewing them you know word will get around like well hold on i know they didn't tell us what the evidence really was but they asked us about these time periods and it happened during a sleepover we never had sleepovers from this period onward. So that had to have gotten around. Well, for sure. And 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 when the, the complainant was adamant about not wanting to testify, the Crown was like, I'm not of the habit to push any complainant to testify against their will. Good for her. Yeah. Good for her. And I think she had a bit of an intuitive sense that this was not maybe a legitimate case for them to prosecute. I had some very good discussions, which I can't talk about because mm -hmm. they're privileged. Um, but it's a perfect example of what we do throughout all of our now 101 podcasts or 102 podcasts. We talk about situations where constantly we're under this pressure from all sorts of noise outside that there's no such thing as a false allegation. Right. That in fact, if there are, it's very rare. And now it's becoming more of a cottage industry that you're seeing personal injury firms advertising mm -hmm. sexual abuse cases that they want to bring lawsuits on. And 
This is another one. This is another perfect example of where when you looked really deep at some of the allegations, it's like, no, that could not have happened without these people waking up, without them knowing, without somebody running to a parent, given their age and everything else. And just how maybe other family members finally woke up and said, F this is not right. There's no way from, from what we glean, this couldn't be right. What We can't do this to this young man. Imagine the dangers if that didn't happen, right? Well, yeah. And we see it all too often, but that's why we do what we do. So was that like satisfying when I, like I come out from the Crown's office, everybody's sitting out there. Yeah, the family were very emotional. I mean, I could, I could sort of tell by your stride, I was like, oh, something, I think something. Because I must say though, I was actually very surprised when, when it was resolved via a peace bond. Or then on reflection, perhaps not, because I, you know, I did kind of help a wonder about the complainant, you know, was there like a hope to sort of reconcile or, or you know, wasn't, more kind of restorative approach but anyway you came out and i could see it was good news and then you told the family and they were absolutely sort of delighted and i think his mother was was in tears and and sort of aunts and uncles were there as well and it was uh and i just thought my god sort of took a massive relief to have this yeah this is a young man who has finished uh, his education who's on you know uh the beginning of a what will be a successful career and his entire life could have been flushed down the toilet with a conviction, utterly flushed down the toilet. And he said, my life has been in suspension for two years. That's rough. Yeah. I always think of it of it, you know, even as soon as, as soon as a complainant goes to police, cause it's almost guaranteed to go to trial. Like what often it is. Yeah. And, and you think, well, that's, it's almost a punitive damages that, I mean, you, that is, several years of somebody's life and money and, and money. money it's tens of thousands of i mean had had it been actually what our actual time was this bill would have been over 120 130,000 it was a lot of time but you know so that was withdrawn so all charges were withdrawn client signed a peace bond simply just to make it go away which was there's no civil or criminal liability there's no attachment of any admission there's nothing they're innocent and it reminds me a little bit of another one we spoke about previously which when we finally got a witness who was, you know, at the time that allegedly sex assault is happening to this other girl, finally was forced through us having a private investigator going after, going after her finally and happened to work for the attorney general's office. So I think they figured, I better come forward and tell the truth, mm -hmm. told the truth and it completely undermined the complainant's evidence. I mean, it completely undermined it. And in fact, in that case, we've spoken about this before, but so much of these are back to back. The sister of the of the main of the complainant was actually giving a play by play that undermined the evidence of of the complainant. And then there was one person, these two girls go to her client's house, one of them says she was sexually assaulted, the other girl is not interviewed, doesn't want to be interviewed. We go after with a private investigator to try and hunt her down because we need that evidence. Finally, she decides to go to the police to give an interview. And the interview undermines the complainant's narrative. So how do you explain that? All those people who just f***ing all over me on Twitter that, that sexual assault allegations are never fabricated, that I am doing something incredibly harmful, incredibly harmful by spreading the myth that there are false allegations. How does that... You're welcome to come to my office and read the f 
statements, read the cross-examinations, and then you tell me if this was within one month. One was withdrawn in November. Right. I think it was November 30th, and then this one was withdrawn very December recent. 17th. Yeah, very recent. Okay, so that's within less than a month. Two big important cases withdrawn. One clearly because evidence has undermined right. the complainant. Another one where it's pretty clear the complainant did not tell the truth, did not want to face the music at the end and be under the pressure of cross-examination. And where other independent witnesses within the family were confirming the fact that it could not have happened because we were never together at these times. And for a, for a 24 month period of time, the individual, our client was not in the city except for two weeks at Christmas time or the winter break and a couple of reading weeks, and that's it. So how do you square that away? And that's just that's tip, just two cases. Tip of the iceberg, tip of the iceberg. We have so that's many. Just two. I'm getting another one withdrawn now, probably, where fortunately the complainant has retained counsel. It's utter bullshit. And God bless the Crown Attorney. So the Crown, sorry, I always check in case like it's one of the offspring has done something Okay, no, it's okay. No one's in custody. No, he's in custody. Family's good and safe. Good. Um, oh God, this is going to be a bit of a long one. So, <laughs> are we okay for time? Okay, so just... just Doesn't matter. Just, just four just, more minutes. Just do it, Joe. Okay, so... Two-year relationship, breakup, not good. They had an apartment together. I think they bought some... Uh, a property together because for investment, they thought they were going to get married. Bad breakup. Four counts of sex assault, beating, choking, f***ing, as much sections under the criminal code as you can find for abuse, okay? Pressure is building. Complainant goes to retain criminal counsel. Probably because they gave fabricated evidence. I, I got access to the statement. I still don't have it in my possession, but I was able to view it through a shared Zoom meeting I did. It's a three and a half hour body cam video. This is the latest debacle that's happening. So some, because of the pressure and the resources on the police, and I'm not blaming the police for this because they just had 12 and a half uh, million dollars ripped right out of their budget. So when, when we complain about their investigations, I'm mindful of the fact that they don't have the resources they need. I am mindful to that. So these were uniform officers who are on scene doing their best turns on their body cameras and they're taking the statement. They're taking the statement of the complainant whose friend is there and the friend is talking and the complainant's it's three and a half hours and it's it's garbage. And in it is the complainant is talking and complaining about this property that was leased and, and I'm money and I'm going to get f***ed over and money and f***ed over. And, and it's like, where's the sex assault and the beatings you're talking yeah. about? It's three and a half hours. The Crown doesn't even want me to transcribe it right now because it's such a disaster. And I'm not blaming, again, the officers who are on scene because what would have happened normally is after that's done, the complainant would then attend the police station and give a proper statement with, you know, officers from the sexual assault, you know, unit with proper cautions. But I think the complainant figured out pretty early there's going to be a lot of pressure right now because there's a civil action going on behind the scenes here. And um, when I got to view various portions of this statement you're like i was like in the crown so it doesn't smell right 
that's three now that I've been dealing with and with this with like just 60 days you know where I'm I'm fairly certain we're going to get it withdrawn because to prosecute that would be you know wrong um, but that's three in 60 days now I, look one of the cases we've had for two years but right. but when this is why I say when you look at our caseload and how many are withdrawn or we win at the end of the day and are able to establish fairly convincingly through cross-examination that that the allegations are not truthful that they don't even come close to beyond a reasonable doubt or even a balance of probability. Statistically significant anecdotal evidence for us that we have too many of these cases that come out as false. Now, again, it may be because our practice attracts people who have really good feelings about the fact that they're falsely accused. We have a very sort of niche practice where people seek us out and do come. They come out of high conflict divorces, bad breakups. You know, there's all sorts of ulterior motives in these cases. But it is significant because you've seen it now. You've, you know, you're going through many of these statements and you're, you, 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 the bulb is going off. It's not, it's not a myth. No, no. And over the next, you know, this year for our, you know, I know a lot of the reviewers want us to do more of these case reviews. These are three perfect ones. If this one is withdrawn, I was so shocked at the at the body cam footage in the statement. I want to review that if it doesn't go to trial and it's withdrawn, because there's just certain aspects of it where it just screams out bullshit motive to lie. Right. Do you have any upcoming right now to add to my statistics at the moment? Very soon. Very soon. Yeah. Yeah. Remember, we have that case where uh, coincidentally she's uh, had another ex-boyfriend charged back to back with the new charge and we, talk about that and then we're going to shut it down but talk about that for a moment and and we can't even cross-examine we on can't that. touch that so i have lay this out like in a yeah yeah pause lay pause. it out simply for everybody a sex assault case going to trial in a few uh well a few days few weeks he says she says ex-boyfriend girlfriend type of scenario so as we're preparing for that case we get a new intake and uh, imagine this. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the guy. He has the disclosure. He's gotten some of his paperwork from the crown. And, and I'm looking at it going, that name sounds familiar. And that that father of the complainant's name sounds familiar in the, in the statement. And then I put one in uh, Amy, who's photocopying this at the or, same or, or time. Our senior law clerk. Our senior law clerk also goes, holy sh you can bleep that. She goes, No, don't. I no, want don't you to swear. That. It's like, what is going on here? So we find out she has the initial relationship with the new intake. They break up. She's pissed. He ends up getting charged with sex assault. Goes to a house party almost less than a month later and has this new guy charged with sex assault. Back to back sex assault. I cannot. And something very distinctively similar in the way she complains yes, about yes yes her language how she complains about the incident didn't want to use a condom like it's almost like she's running a script right I cannot under our current law cross-examine her on that your your jaw's supposed to drop because <laughs> I cannot cross-examine her that she has made this prior complaint um, in, in this second trial that I'm running. The law actually says, unless you can establish that, that the other allegation is demonstrably false, right. which essentially means in the case law that she recanted, right. it is inadmissible under Section 276 yeah. and inadmissible because it's not relevant. Right. 
so it's other sexual activity yeah. and it's not relevant. Right. So How's it not relevant? Can you imagine? So we faced that similar act application, right? Mm -hmm. Talk about a reverse similar act application, okay? So when you take the allegations, and, and it's not broken down yet because they're both, one's going to trial, but the other one isn't yet. So you'll have to look at the statements, but there are very distinct similarities in, in what she's claiming as a sexual assault, not wanting to use a condom, something right. else, something else. They're strikingly similar. Shame we can't bring a similar act application right. to that. say that this person is a serial fabricator. Right. Can't do it. Nope. But, you know, what do you think? What do you think? Do you, are we wrong? Maybe we're wrong. Maybe maybe it just it's just bad luck. Bad luck for her, yeah. And it could be. But when there's such striking similarity in the nature of the allegation, the unfolding of it, and the language, and the language it's dangerous. It smells it really smells bad. It smells really bad. So I'm trying to figure out how to sneak it in anyway. Well, so. maybe we need that's that's an old case, you know. Maybe we need to, you know, just take a shot at it. And, you know, if you win, we won't be able to go to appeal on it. But, you know, right. it's something we, we have to take a shot at to see if we can reopen again. Right. And and, and I, I may explain to the judge, I'm not so interested in the sexual activity. I'm not going there. It's the fact that the allegations made, right? And the fact that the language being used, right? That That is critical. It's almost Unfortunately, like a, because know, of the language, know, you're going to have to get into the sexual I know, act. I know. That, that, that's, that's what we face as a real problem. But there's something about it in this case, it which is very, well. very awkward. It's funny. It's, it's, you know, it wound up in our office, both those cases. Right, which is in and of itself something. But, yeah. but, but, you know, and you're finishing off that other case where it's the sexual exploitation one where we're expecting victory. Right. You know, at the end of this year, and, and we've spoken to somebody, we're, we're trying to get this academic to come in and do a case study of a lot of our transcripts and then compare with other cases as well so that we can start to have some sort of a, a more um, a, a proper study done right. on, on wrongful accusations. So we're trying, because nobody else really wants to do it. No, you, 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 our, our government's not remotely interested, and of course there's no organization out there who's interested. So we're going to try and see if we can get some funding for this and get this academic in to do it. But just, I'm, just, I'm just staggered by, I mean, you know, that case that we had out, um, just before the break that we got to withdraw was extremely satisfying and you could, how we broke it down. But I just, it always comes back to our theme that it's not a myth that there are false allegations. No, absolutely not. And I don't know why it's so hard to just say, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, some people lie. Male or female, it just happens. Yeah, imagine. Well, good night, guys. Thank you. Nick, pillow. Yes, thank you. Pillow Thank you, everybody, time. for... Where's my pillow? Here's pillows uh, Well, you here. can do it. I get, all right, I try not to fit at this line. Try to memorize it now. <laughs> Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, subscribe, and share. No, and thank you put again. Put some life into it. Tyler, <laughs> yeah, he's got the voice. You're, you're... Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, see, see? and share. And we'll be back with you next week with our next podcast. See, that was mellifluous. That word I used earlier. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> Good night, everybody. Good thank night. you very much for viewing and all your great questions. Good night.